0: Let me read from Romans chapter 12. Uh, I'm reading from verses 14 to 21. Paul in chapter 12, has, uh, verses, verses 1 to um, 13, have dealt with the relationship amongst believers. And so now he will deal with our relationship with the unsaved. So he's dealt with the relationship amongst the saved, verses 1 to 13. And now he will be dealing with our relationship with those who do not know the Lord. Let me read verses 14 then to 21 of prayer and message. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thy word is truth, we now pray that you would sanctify us in the truths of thy word so as to know you better, so as to appreciate you better, and so as to obey you better. We pray that as we work through the text that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher that helps us to understand, that illuminates the truth, that communicates, Lord, the message, Father, the truths, the ideas that you have intended, Father, through this text. And so I pray for lord your word to speak to our hearts not only do we desire to hear father your voice O lord your word father speak we also desire father to be changed and to be transformed so that we can speak for you lord to a a world that is outside there who do not know the lord a world that is in fear a world that is in denial a world that is given to arrogance and all kinds of sinful things father lord we are grateful that you saved us as sinners And we are now under grace. But, Lord, there are many out there, Father, under judgment and that need to know you. Help us to know and teach us to know how to live, Lord, in a world that do not care about the things of the Lord. A society, a pagan society, who do not love you, give us the grace we need, Father, to be witnesses, to be a testimony, to bring glory to you even, and to be a light, Lord, for you even amongst a pagan society. And so I pray for your blessing. Upon your word as I pray in Jesus. So um, let me get my outline up there. That's the title of my sermon, Practicing the Gospel. Practicing the Gospel. Now, Adam Judson is a, was a professed agnostic, and um, he was saved and called by the Lord to serve the cause of Christ in Burma. Judson and his wife were to pay a terrible price before they could lead their first person to Christ. On one occasion, Judson was lashed and driven across a desert, a mere skeleton, and prayed to die. On a different occasion, he was put in jail and subjected to cruel and barbaric treatment for two years. During this time, his wife gave birth to a child. Soon after the birth of the child, their house burned down while Judson was in jail, leaving the young mother and child without the comfort of a home or even a chair to sit on. The eldest son, meanwhile, developed smallpox. Smallpox was a big deal there, you know, back then. And the stress of all of this drove the young mother, mother to great despair. And as if that was not enough, the authorities soon then announced that Judson was to be executed and they prepared for the worst. Whilst awaiting execution, Judson was smuggled away unbeknown to his wife. By the time they were reunited, the cost in suffering was immense. Adoniram was scarred, he was maimed and worn down, and his wife was dressed in mere rags and destitute. Yet the couple never lost sight of their goal. To preach Christ to a pagan society. Judson's two ambitions was to translate the Bible into the native tongue. And to see a church of a 100 people established. Both these goals were realized. Judson practiced the gospel. He not only preached the gospel. He practiced the gospel. He lived responsibly in a pagan society. Amidst great difficulty and immense hostility. And this is exactly what Paul is teaching us in our text. Living responsibly as followers of the Lord in a pagan society. As I've already mentioned, Paul has already um, dealt with how we should live amongst one another. Now in verses 14 down to 21, he deals with this issue of our conduct amongst um, an unsaved world. So the question then this morning is, how should we conduct ourselves? How should we live in a pagan society? First of all, in verses 14 to 15, we see that we should live with, Sympathetic understanding. Sympathetic understanding. Notice that the, Paul says, Bless them that persecute you and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And Paul's plea here is for sympathy and understanding. The Christian believer can easily, you know, we can easily assume airs and graces, which can be offensive to our unsaved neighbors. We should be loyal to Christ, yes, and his teachings. But not unnecessarily make enemies with those around us. Why? Because they are the fish that we've been instructed to catch. So what's the point of making enemies with them? We will never be able to catch them. And here's another thing to consider about fishing, using that analogy of fishing. Much of our fishing takes place from the comfort of our shores. But very little fish come to the shore, if we are honest. For the most part, fish are found in the ocean meaning we have to leave our shore. We are thankful for these missionaries that are working along the garden route that have left their shores to come fish here. But we have to go where the people are. Yes, we should pass our tracks and have evangelical uh, um, outreaches and uh, campaigns. We should invite the lost to the church. But we are commanded by the Lord to get into our boats, to lower our nets, to the loss of lost humanity in our community, in our towns, in our provinces, to the uttermost part of the world. During lockdown, I um, listed all the towns in the Western Cape, and then I uh, researched on Wikipedia the um, population breakdowns. Um, one of the first churches in the Cape was t- started in, well, the second church or third church was started in Macassar, which, got, which has 35,000 people. Now, you compare that to Sears. It's got 70,000 people and no Bible-believing church. You compare that to um, Langaban, Saldana Bay, Friedenberg, over 100,000 people, no Bible-believing church. You Compare that to Worcester, 130,000 people, no Bible-believing church, at West. I mean, you can name up these towns. Um, I suppose the point that I'm trying to make is, you know, um, we, we are commanded to go into our communities and our towns and to the uttermost part of the world. Therefore, we must operate with understanding and sympathy. We dare not offend the fish we intend to catch. When it comes to our unsaved neighbors, we must look for that which we must look for that in which we, in them at least, for which we can commend, and work with that and try to win them to Christ. That doesn't mean, mean we agree with their lifestyle or their sin or participate even in that. What I'm trying to say is, when when they invite you to practice a, a something sinful, then we politely decline. But then we can suggest an alternative activity that they may like. Maybe they like rugby, you know, without whatever. And we can maybe just suggest that. Maybe we can do this together or that together. We should not offend those very ones that we seek to win uh, to the Lord because the Lord has commanded us to reach them. So now, uh, verse 14, then how do we demonstrate sympathy and understanding? Paul says, uh, bless them which persecute you. And... um, We demonstrate sympathy and and understanding by disarming opposition. And clearly this verse, verse 14, reminds us of Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, where Christ says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you. And the word bless there in verse 14 means to speak well of someone. It is similar to the word uh, eulogize. Uh, During the eulogy, we speak well of the deceased, normally, for the most part. We speak well of them. We might think bad of them, but we speak well of them. So we disarm opposition by responding to hatred with love, blessing those with those with deeds of kindness who oppose us and pray, praying for them who would despitefully use us. The Lord Jesus disarmed opposition by praying for his enemies on the cross. He opened the gates of paradise for the thief that cursed him. No wonder the Roman soldier who murdered him concluded this was the son of God. On the cross, Christ won both Jewish and Gentile enemies. So let us disarm our enemies by loving, blessing, ministering unto them, and praying for the unsaved around us. We also demonstrate sympathy and understanding by seizing opportunities. Seizing opportunities. He says in verse 15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Now folks, yes we are saved, but we are still in this world. We are not of the world, but we are still in this world. We are part of humanity. We share some common experiences with all men, and we should use these experiences to build bridges into the hearts and homes of the unsaved. Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding, rejoicing with them that do rejoice. And if you um, know your Bibles, if you know the book of John, his last recorded miracle was at a funeral, weeping with them that weep. Funerals and weddings and sickness presents opportunities for the believer to seize for the sake of the gospel. It is it is good and well, and we should hand out parcels to those who are in need, but we should also be handing out the gospel because there is a greater need. You know, man can die with a full stomach and go to hell forever. So we need to be thinking of that as to how to engage our community. Now, I personally am guilty myself. I've let down several opportunities to go uh, that went through my fingers. And I'm sure I've offended some of my unsafe family and haven't always grasped the opportunities when there's a a uh, an opportunity to speak uh, you know at a birthday party or whatever um, when I was younger uh, not that I'm wiser now but when I was younger I was I was dumb and you know I thought okay you know how am I gonna go to these places and these events because you know they they, they are drinking there and they do all kinds of stuff there but those were opportunities um, that Went through my fingers. I, I'm a little bit wiser now, so I leave it like half past eight before the music starts and the drinking starts. But at least I can give them the gospel, you know. But I've noticed that they no longer invite me. <laughs> so, now, Paul seized opportunities, folks. Paul uh, calls it spending himself, pouring himself out, stepping out of his agenda and his comfort zone, casting his net into the deep. Listen to his testimony in First Corinthians chapter nine. This is what Paul says. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain them all. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I may gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without, that I may gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I may by all means save some, and this I do for the gospel's sake. So let us seize the opportunities. Let us disarm opposition for the sake of the gospel. This was Paul's attitude. Paul seized the opportunities for the gospel. How should we conduct ourselves as believers in a pagan society? 2nd verse 16, we should live with an appropriate attitude. An appropriate attitude. Now, attitude is not, you know... When you go through Bible school or Bible college, they don't teach you about a couple of things. One of the things they don't teach you is attitude. Attitude goes a long way in ministry. If your attitude is not right, don't go into the ministry. But here Paul speaks of an appropriate attitude. He says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of lower state. Be not wise in your own conceits. And So Paul's instruction here is to watch our attitude. And he mentions two attitudes that the believer is to avoid in verse 16. He says, be of the same mind, one toward another, so we should not be partial. We should treat all men well, regardless of their standing in life, their background, their race, or their religion. Now, whether it was the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Nicodemus caught in religion, and Zacchaeus caught in a tree, Christ was courteous, considerate, and compassionate for the unsaved, always. If we are going to win others and be an influence and light and salt and those things, we must pray for the appropriate attitude. We must mind our manners. We must seek to engage all men. We must avoid being partial. And then Paul says we should not be proud in verse 16. We should not be proud. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of lower state. Be not wise in your own conceits. Now, clearly, pride has no place in the Christian life. The Bible never, ever commends arrogance. It condemns it completely, totally. And Paul here is clearly advocating humility. The word condescend here means to take off together, to be led away with another. Men in the world are given to position, prominence, and recognition. You know, before, we, before I was saved, these are the things that mattered to me and counted for me. But we are no longer in the world. I am now in Christ. Therefore, my attitude should not be snobbish or conceited. Rather, I must associate with humble tasks and those of lowly position and person. And The Lord Jesus Christ is our ultimate example of rebuke of every form of pride. Listen to some of the verses that I'm, I'll be reading. Pride of birth, for example. Pride of, pride of birth and rank. Matthew 13 says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Pride of wealth. Luke says, The son of man hath not where to lay his head. Pride of respectability. John says in John chapter 1, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Pride of personal appearance. Isaiah says he hath no form or comeliness. Pride of reputation. Luke says a friend of publicans and sinners. Pride of superiority. Luke 22 says I'm among you as he that serveth. Pride of ability. John chapter 5 verse 30 says I can of mine own self do nothing. Pride of self-will. John says in that same chapter, John chapter five, verse thirty, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father. So folks, we are to shun pride. Paul says it clearly there says, Be not wise in your own conceits. We cannot win the world for Christ with the attitudes of the world. We win the world with the mind of Christ, and that is humility of mind. That's Philippians chapter two, of course. If we are going to be effective in reaching our lost community, we we must mind our manners, folks. We change our attitude when necessary. We cannot, there, there are some things we cannot change. You know, we cannot change circumstances. Most of the circumstances are beyond us. You know, this, this virus is proof of that. We, there's a lot of things we, we don't have control of. One of the things I think that we have learned is that there are things that we, that this virus has taught us, you know, we are not in control. There's an unseen enemy. We, we cannot control it. Uh, you know, we cannot change people. I cannot change people. You know, we can maybe try and manipulate people. We cannot change them. We cannot change society. But there's one thing that you and I alone can change. We can change our attitude. You know, you are responsible. I am responsible for my attitude. And I can, at least I can change that by the grace of God. And so we are to be mindful and we are to mind our manners and change our attitude. So as to win people for Christ. Win them for the Lord. I'm not a, a extrovert. Um, I am a shy boy from the, from the Cape Flats, you know, I don't easily engage people. Uh, it takes a lot of effort for me to go out on the streets and speak to people and uh, lift myself up, you know, from where I am. Um, I can get just lost in my own mind and my own head and, uh, read and do my own thing. And so, um, but God gives grace. He gives grace when we, when I do go, um, when we do venture out, things happen. And it's not, I know it's not because of my personality. That's it's not because of my doing, you know. And God has given grace. He's, he's built a church in the Strand. He's built a church in Pucklesdorp. And he's building his work in Paul. And I know and surely know um, this, is not, this is not of us. This is, this is him and him alone. But God, you know, I, I reckon if God can use a donkey, he can use me. And God is willing to work with us, folks. He's gracious. So let me encourage you in that. And then how should we conduct ourselves as believers in a pagan society? We should live unimpeachable lives. Well, we've learned a new word the last four years with uh, President Trump in the office there, and that's impeachment, isn't it? So let me try and explain to you that word in my, in my own sense. This, this just means that we should live exemplary lives um, if we are going to win the loss. And this is Paul's third instruction uh, if we're going to reach the lost around us, verses 17 to 21, Paul sort of outlines that idea, recompense no man evil for evil, he says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Folks, in short, then, we are not only saved by the gospel, we are not only to preach the gospel, but we ought to live the gospel. We ought to live the gospel. You know, what the stuff that we sing about grace, love and truth and, you know, sacrifice, those are all taken up in the gospel. Um, those principles and truths, and that ought to be our example before an unsaved world. And Paul basically, yeah, in short, then gives four principles that we need to consider when it comes to our example in uh, the pagan society that we are living in. Um, I know this world, you know, in Paul, everyone is Christian. Uh, I, I suppose it's true here in George, too, and I suppose it's true in our country. I mean, everything, everyone thinks they are Christians because they were just born, uh, they weren't born Muslim. Well, a Muslim name, if you know what I'm saying. And because they went to a church and they, you know, did a couple of rituals and that's it, you know. But um, when we speak about being born again, when we speak about sin and all those issues, we, we, you know, quickly we establish and when we ask people, you know, are you sure you're saved? Then they they cannot base their salvation on, on the, the finished work of Christ alone. And um, so, you know, we as believers, we, we need to be showing and living in, the, in, a, in a sense that um, exemplify the gospel in, in, in ways that they can clearly see that demonstrated in our lives. Not merely not you know, by the fact that we do the same sort of Christian things that, that they do, uh, if you know what I'm saying, but in a practical sense, so practicing the gospel. Um, but when you live for the Lord, um, you know, when you um, live for the Lord, And stand on his word you will offend others not because we do this on purpose we you know we we will make enemies but when our enemies seek to do us harm um, we should turn the other cheek christ taught us that and we should reward evil with good and the old testament example is joseph what a what an excellent example Uh, if you study his life you know his life comes the closest to the lord jesus christ a picture at least of christ Joseph was persecuted, as you know, he was ridiculed. He was sold as a slave by his brothers, wrongly accused. Um, Yet, when his brothers came to Egypt in great need and vulnerable and dependent, Joseph, now second to Pharaoh, did not retaliate. He did not repay evil with evil. Instead, he fed them, protected them, pardoned them, and promoted them. The New Testament example is, of course, the Apostle Paul. The Jews sought to kill Paul. At any, any given time, you know, they were ready to, to kill him. They undermined his work, his reputation. They corrupted the churches planted with false teaching. They turned men and cities against Paul. Yet Paul prayed unceasingly for them. He loved them and sought forever to win men to Christ. What an example. So we should live passively and then we should live with integrity. Paul says in verse 17, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Integrity is the quality of being honest. Folks, in our social dealings with the unsaved, we should live above reproach. No man should be able to point a finger at us with a legitimate accusation. We should be honest in our dealings with men, no matter how inconvenient it may be later. Our word is our honor, and we are bound by our word. In our financial dealings, this is for the pastors, of course, in our financial dealings with the church's money. Now we've seen what has happened, shamefully, of this false prophet so you know we we, and as those of us that are working with the church's money you know yeah you know, this gives opportunity for us to set those things we shouldn't be given to mishandling the money so we use it for our own benefit that is just wrong and this guy should be jailed as for the thief that he is I'm not going to mention names are you recording this pastor i into trouble nowadays for anything you say we must set up systems that protect the integrity of our church's uh, finances and we must gladly welcome public accountability of our church's finances. And here, once again, Paul is the most, ex- you know, excellent example. You know, Paul worked with his own hands. I'm not suggesting that we should, Pastor Brian. <laughs> become accustomed not to work with our hands. <laughs> but Paul supported min- members of his own missionary team. Just think about that. You know, he didn't have a big account and massive churches, you know, that sent him money. Uh, Paul took no wages from the churches he planted. No wages he took from the churches as he planted. And I, I, you know, I have adopted that myself. We planted the church in the stand and in Parkhurstorp, now in Paul, you know. And I said to him, we don't want any money from the church. We're not interested. Because within our community, that's the thing, you know. You, you, anyone can become a pastor. You know, you can kick a pastor, you know, you get a pastor behind every bush, and they're all in it to make money. So I have six or seven people that are, you know, You know, deal with the money thing, but I don't deal with it so so far as accountability is concerned. So if one of them are dishonest, at least we can pick it up quickly. But we must set up those systems. Um, Paul made sure that there were rules that governed the collection in churches. He planted, he was above reproach when it came to finances. He was not given to corruption. He lived honestly and he lived with integrity. And he dealt with men in the same fashion and same means. So we should live with integrity. Those of us who have businesses, those who have business dealings, those who have of us who have positions in our companies, we should be, uh, we should live, uh, be above reproach as far as that is concerned. And then Paul says in verse 18, we should live peaceably, peaceably. Now, as I said early on, folks, the gospel will be resisted, sometimes with great violence. You know, we we are, we can be thankful that at least people here, you know, they respond uh, sometimes to the gospel, but that just saying no, but this is rejecting us. But in other parts of the world, you, you know, things are different. If you uh, go on to the streets, you know, um, one of the countries that, that has seen a spike in um, persecution is India, for example. I mean, it's going crazy there for Christians. In the north of India especially, um, they are very hostile. You know, if you're baptized in your court, I mean, those, those guys, um, the Indian religion, they're quite harsh. And they kill and burn and maim. Christians, you know, uh, we've seen that in Africa as well. Now, let me remind you of once again of Paul. Paul had to contend with a sorcerer, persecution in Antioch, a mob stoned him at Lystra. Let's not forget about that. He was opposed by legalists in the Syrian Church. In Philippi, he was scourged and jailed. At Thessalonica, he was forced out of the city. in Athens, he was mocked. In Ephesus, there was a riot because of Paul. In Jerusalem. They were constantly planning to murder him, in spite of being a law-abiding Roman citizen and teaching churches everywhere to submit to their rulers. I'm not sure if that's the kind of pastor we want, but um, in hindsight, we would gladly welcome Paul as our pastor, isn't it? But folks, it's not always possible for the Christian to live in peace with all men. But we must never be the instigator of disturbing the peace or take the initiative in disturbing the peace. We are peacemakers we preach the gospel of peace, we live peaceably, and if possible, with all men, so as to win all men to Christ. And I think this is what Paul is trying to say here, is to live peaceably. And then we should live with leniency. In verse 19, in verse 19, Paul says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, where it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We cannot win the lost when we exercise revenge. The Christian is not to seek revenge. Why? Because the prerogative for revenge belongs to the Lord. Paul Paul says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, this is difficult, isn't it? Sometimes you get all these pictures in your mind about the neighbors. If they go on, you know, two o'clock with loud music or whatever, you get all these pictures in your mind. You probably kill them a couple of times. Ideas, what can you do, you know? Um, Can't we blow up their electricity box or whatever, you know, just to get them silent. And, and um, you know, we, where we live, we have a, a, a municipal field behind us, and we have endless problems with that field through the, throughout the day, you know. Um, kids playing behind the wall, and it's swearing, and it's all kinds of stuff. And in the evenings, all these different kinds of crowds arriving at different kinds of the day into the evening. And late night music and it's guys parking their vehicles. They're opening their doors and, you know, just keeping you awake uh, Friday nights and Saturday nights. So, you know, I have, you know, got all the ideas to how to get rid of these guys <laughs> to bless them with. <laughs> but vengeance is mine. The Bible says I will repay. And here's the thing about God. When he avenges a wrong, he does it perfectly and justly. Never in a spirit of retaliation. And... I lie awake at night and I listen to these things and I need to remind myself that God loves those people too. He loves them dearly and he seeks to save them too. Whether they wear red overalls or on, with nice suits and steal our money, God loves them and wants them saved. We are not to seek revenge because of the principle of vengeance that was demonstrated by the Lord. The cross, folks, represents the highest manifestation of the hate, of hate toward God. But here's the other side of the coin. The cross also represents the highest manifestation of the love of God for sinners. And as John Phillips writes, he says, The spear that pierced the Savior's side threw forth the blood that saves. So let us live unimpeachable lives, lives above reproach, exemplary lives, lives that seek to draw all men to Christ, friend and foe. Therefore, we need to pray constantly, ask for grace in our lives, for our spirit and our attitude. The responsible believer lives the gospel. So, uh, application then. A couple of things here. Know your audience. Our audience is the world, isn't it? That's the world. Um, And our desire is and should be to win them with understanding and sympathy. They are lost, folks. They are governed by their flesh and worldliness. And so that's all they know and that's all they'll be doing and all they'll be practicing all their lives. Arrogant um, and given to hostility. If such were some of us. Such were some of us. So we need to know and understand our audience. We need to watch our manners. And then we need to watch our conduct and try to win them uh, with our example. So some questions to consider. Are we living the gospel? Is there any attitudes of pride or partiality that needs to change? And that can that can be changed today. And uh, thirdly, are we seizing the opportunities that the Lord presents for the gospel, how to live in a pagan society. So Brian?